Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. If you've had a hankering for some classic training talk, including CrossFit Games prep work, Ian Daniel of Fortitude Sports Performance is here to quench that thirst. With a multi-sport background and inclination towards powerlifting, Ian took somewhat of a unique approach to prepping for the sport of fitness. His diverse background and success in lifting has made him one of the more sought-after coaches in the biz. Here it is, episode 482. Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast of Strength Conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. I'm John, CEO of Power Athlete, joined with... Tex McQuilkin, the Director of Training and Education. Thank you for having me, John. Well, good. I mean, we do this podcast sometimes many times a week, and I'm hoping that the intro is a lot smoother than it's been in the past. Well, we get better with each rep, just like all of our athletes mm. on... Our training programs. Training programs. If you guys are into training and you want the world-class training experience provided by Power Athlete and myself, Mr. McQuilkin, and our team of high-end coaches, just go to PowerAthleteHQ slash training, Mm -hmm. and you will see our flagship programs, everything from Fieldstone, Grindstone, Jack Street, uh, Johnny Wad, Johnny Bod, Lean and Able, Bedrock, and Hammer and various other individual programs like Lean Enable, Speed Kills, and just about everything you can hope for in terms of getting flexy with Iron Flex. Mm -hmm. So we've really put together an amazing catalog of training programs to meet your needs. Everyone designed for a certain archetype. So once you get in there, explore them, smash them, try them out on Train Heroic, and let us know what you think. Yes, and we have a little survey. If you see all of these amazing options and you want them all, we have a survey, an opportunity for you to work through according to equipment, time that you have allotted to training and it breaks down the best training program for you yeah so if you want to find that just go like we said powerathletehq.com scroll down you'll see the tab on training you can look at slash training and then obviously slash for all those different programs so i guess we're gonna do a podcast today oh we got a um, a mountain of a podcast today. Ooh, we got a big one. Almost like a rhino of a podcast. Yeah, I was, I'll save that mountain pun for when we get the mountain dog on. Uh, okay. But we still got a big fucking dude on. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh, you know, 5'8", 240, that ain't small. I mean, I know that's why you like your ladies. Well, yeah, run the 4'3", 40. <laughs> Break down. Break down. Uh, but no, he, yeah, he's very cool. I, I didn't realize he competed in the CrossFit Games twice. He must be the second heaviest games athlete of all time dude uh definitely i think sam dancer was a pretty big cat too at that time did has he made it to the games yeah he he deadlifted like 600 pounds in the games it was pretty impressive after like running you know uh like a 100k sprint you know which k sprint yeah they're they're like hey crossfit games this year 100k sprint okay three two one go and then deadlift 600 pounds for reps okay do they know the definition of a sprint uh, I don't think, um, you know, what's pretty fascinating on CrossFit is some high level sprinters came into CrossFit, some people that had been four and 800 meter runners in college. Mm-hmm. And I think when that happened, all of a sudden, when you saw sprint stuff, these guys were so much more efficient in terms of running. Uh, oh, it's kind of yeah. like, um, you know, when they started throwing swimming in the mix and then all of a sudden you got like China Cho and, uh, you know, Colleen Fauch and some of these girls that were really high level swimmers and came out and absolutely just crushed it in the water. I mean, if there's somebody who's, you know, got a college scholarship to go to, you know, like Berkeley or a high-end school, and that's all you did was swim, and now all of a sudden you're in CrossFit as soon as you get back in the water, just like on the sprinting stuff. Hmm. Yeah, and do you feel that they programmed away from, like, badass individuals? I have no idea. 
Uh, I haven't, I haven't been um, since you know, either. since we stopped our relationship with CrossFit, I just haven't necessarily, you know, tuned in. And, um, you know, when they got rid of regionals and went to this new format and this, I mean, and then also the fact that they ditched all their conventional media, I think uh, it became, you know, I'm, I'm basically watching Arm and Hammer's, you know, uh, Instagram feed for updates. I mean, he's, I'll tell you, that guy's got his fucking, you know, ear to the grind, uh, ear to the, you know, whatever it is uh, for whatever's happening. But I, I really am excited to see what happens with CrossFit, with Eric Rosa coming in, you know, uh, you know, obviously that. You know, there was a big tornado and a house fell on Glassman, you know, uh, in Kansas. You know, the Wicked Wick is dead or the Wicked, wicked Witch is dead kind of a deal. So, uh, you know, he moved on and um, I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, pretty fascinating, though, you know, competed in the CrossFit Games and then got out and just done powerlifting. And, you know, now just kind of traveling around being jacked and, you know, helping people get more jacked. Yeah. And Ronan, how you described him during the show, Ronan, I believe, is a great, great term to He's finding strong people all over the country and then still doing some online education through his Instagram, showing off a little bit. Yeah. Call you out, Ian, but don't hurt me. And uh, still dropping some knowledge with those with those those heavy ass lifts. Yeah, be a good one. Yeah. Fun, fun conversation up, down and around. So we are ready to go. Cue it up, man. Let's do it. So what's your background? I mean, how'd you get into this thing? You said you bounced around, you worked like, what was your initial jump off point? Like, why are people following you? Oh, well, um, I mean, shoot, I've been, I've been in and out of, I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing the fitnessing thing since I was about 12 years old. Uh, team sports done just about any sport to some decent above average degree, um, average to above average degree. And then it kind of culminated in me getting involved in CrossFit back in probably 2011, 2012. Um, Three months in qualified uh, for regionals as an individual, ended up going teams because I still didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And um, that was back in the Southeast region, down the Southeast region, of course. And um, from there, that kind of led to a lot of team competitions, individual competitions, a lot of local privately held competitions when those kind of exploded in that 2012 to 2016 uh, time period. Um, I actually graduated and got my uh, BSN and went to work in a critical care ICU for a little while. Um, Took about a year off to do that, to kind of like do that full time. And because um, you can't really can't really push performance working the night shift so much um, shift work is, is not great for the energy levels. Um, and then I came back from that, uh, joined up with a team. We went to compete at the CrossFit Games twice, um, competed in a year out in Utah for the Pro Grid League when that was a thing. And then from there, after 2017, uh, the 2017 Games in Wisconsin, um, I, tri- I switched and transitioned to powerlifting and over the course of about four or five powerlifting meets, um, went from a 1600 total to a 2001 total, um, nice. 2001 total was with like, a roughly there's obviously some decimal points, but, um, roughly like a 788 squat, a 451 bench and a 760 deadlift. I think it was like 760.9, whatever kilo math, the really precise kilo math comes out as. But um, so I've lifted in the animal cage once, um, done some other feats of strength, 
done, um, you know, depending on what your standards are, my deadlift has been anywhere between 760 to 850. Um, best squat was 788, best bench 463, um, you know, clean 405. I can do all that pretty, pretty regularly. I don't really train Olympic weightlifting. I can just kind of do it because I'm strong. So, um, uh, Ian, what's your Fran time? <laughs> now, what's his Michael time? I'm not only interested in Michael times. GHD. Which one's the Michael? Uh, I think that's like sit-ups and GHD sit-ups, or maybe it's <laughs> 75, 800 meter runs, GHD sit-ups, because that's the true marker of, of strength and performance and really eliteness. <laughs> so, dude, man, I don't remember the last. I haven't done like a named CrossFit workout in a long time. But um, when I did, last time I did grace, I did normal grace in like 58 or 59 seconds, just doing this thing <laughs> for 30 straight. Um, Fran was probably, because I'm 5'8", I'm but I'm walk, I walk anywhere between 230 to 240, um, like a lean 230 to 240. Uh, Fran, I was probably like sub two, like somewhere right around two, sub two, 158 to like 205, somewhere around there. Um, and then shoot, what else? I did 225 grace and like maybe 250, um, somewhere around there. And, um, I mean, man, like right now I'm not super conditioned and not like whenever I was competing, like just to kind of rewind a little bit back, just, just cause I'll never, ever be in the shape that I was for the 2017 CrossFit games. I'll never be in that shape in my life ever again <laughs> like that was like probably the pinnacle of conditioning strength stamina all around sort of the all-around sort of picture and you know 2016 when we trained and we competed it was kind of like um i was kind of like the new kid on the block to the team and i was on team hustle hard out of west palm beach and it was sort of very much a traditional CrossFit approach to training. It was do more CrossFit more often, harder workouts, you know, beat you down kind of training. And, you know, I had the ability to an extent. And so I got better from it, but things also started hurting from it. <laughs> I went into, I went into the 2016 games the last year they had it in uh, California and, you know, I had an impinging shoulder. Uh, my hip was bothered. My, I had hip bursitis that I had to get a cortisone shot for. Um, and then, you know, we still did all right. We came in right around like 20th or 21st, something like that. But um, I, did, I wasn't happy with my own individual performance. Going into the 2017 games, I pretty much completely revamped my training and I might take some heat for this, but in training for the 2017 CrossFit Games, I actually didn't really do CrossFit for it. <laughs> I um, yeah. I yeah. actually, I because I had a large strength surplus um, for like that 2017 season, um, I actually did a powerlifting meet between 20, the 2016 and 2017 season. So I had an interesting gauge on my strength numbers. That was my first meet was between those two years. Um, I didn't train for it. I didn't peak for it. I didn't follow like a traditional hypertrophy strength peaking phase or anything. I had like three or four low bar squat sessions to practice the technique. And that was pretty much about it. And I just went in and did it. Just going in and doing it, I think I hit a... I hit a 600 squat even low bar and sleeves. 
I hit bench press. I sandbagged a little bit because I had pulled something in my pec minor and I hit a 365 bench, just kind of like I probably could have done 405. And my deadlift conventional was 633. But like a week after that, I tried sumo and I pulled 660. Um, so I kind of regret not pulling sumo in that meet. I didn't really like, I didn't really know about it. But that 2017 season, I didn't really train CrossFit. Um, I kind of took a bit more of a focused approach to things. And instead of training everything at once, I, I kind of treated it how an MMA athlete might treat mixed martial arts. Instead of, you know, you, you take an MMA athlete, they're not necessarily training MMA, they're training all these individual disciplines, and then they're sort of tying it together in their unique style of fighting. So for me, I trained, essentially I trained as a triathlete some days, um, other days I trained as a gymnast, and then maybe one day a week, which was my fun day, I got to train like a lifter. <laughs> And so in doing so, you know, and I kind of would target areas of my body that I felt like were weak, you know, instead of doing a CrossFit style workout that had a lot of like toes to bar in it with paired with something else, I said, oh, my toes to bar suck. Well, I'm going to do three sets of 30 strict with ankle weights, you know, and, and progressive overload something. It was like, oh, well, my muscle ups suck. Well, I probably need to spend about an hour, two to three, four times a week dissecting the movement, seeing where I'm weak at and doing everything from hollow holds to strict ring pull-ups to controlled negatives to, you know, skin the cats to training how a gymnast would to improve their muscle-ups, not necessarily pushing them so hard and under fatigue, you know, for rope climbs, my grip strength was an issue. So I would train, you know, dead hangs on the rope climbs until my hands and skin were about to fall off, you know, and then even in training, um, before my grip, because I was a heavier guy with like not huge, you know, gorilla hands like most guys have. So, you know, I was training rope climbs with strongman tacky on my hands to get the technique down so I could at least grab it first and start building up that musculature. And then eventually I transitioned away from strongman tacky to chalk to just bare hands, um, bare hands and chalk. But like that 2017 season, um, I was running, I tested everything and I was running about a 620, mile. I was doing 18 muscle ups, I'm broken, you know, could clean and jerk 405, obviously had my power lifting numbers. Um, I was swimming, you know, one, 2000 meters straight. I was rowing like a 642 K and then, um, like three weeks before we competed at the games, I did like the thing that I thought was the coolest thing ever in my own mind was a, a two like a 225 because I weighed about 225 at the time uh, 225 times 101 squat unbroken um, so it took about eight eight and a half minutes to complete but I did it and then I kind of fell over <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that that reps. yeah yeah that 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 um well, I'll never be did the like gamble that work out? did you I mean, uh, did the gamble work out like you went into 16 and then, you know, and here you kind of periodized your training and did really what you're calling is block periodization where you're focusing on weaknesses and then moving yeah. along and kind of combining them. Uh, how did it turn out for you? I, I mean, put it this way, the, those kind of numbers that I listed in terms of like each one of those things being where they were was like a massive improvement from the year prior. Now, who's to say we didn't get do-overs? Who's to say had I just continually 
continually done what I had been doing in 2016, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that those things still wouldn't have improved. You know, obviously they probably still would have kept improving to an extent. I don't necessarily know if my weaknesses would have fo- would have improved in such drastic um, drastic amounts. I probably cut a minute off my mile time. I added probably like six or seven muscle ups to my unbroken set. I couldn't do any strict. And then, you know, by the time the 2017 games roll around, because they were starting to implement um, strict muscle ups, they're starting to implement pegboards. There's a lot of practice on those. You know, I couldn't do any pegboards and I couldn't do any strict muscle ups. And that went from zero to like six or seven strict muscle ups. It went to, you know, five unbroken pegboards without hopping off the wall. Um, so, I mean, everything definitely improved. But the most important thing was that I was healthy and I was pain free. And so I'd love to highlight you're also programming for yourself. You are in tune. You have an understanding of this where many of the CrossFit athletes back in those days mm -hmm. were defaulting to some form of online competition training with some dude up in his high tower that didn't know you. And then if you passed his training, you made his team. So like you were pretty good Ponzi scheme. Pretty good Ponzi scheme. Oh, that, well, that's that's a whole different podcast in itself. I just want to highlight. there. And so, explain to me that learning experience. Now, in my mind, you were thinking like a coach, and you were experimenting on yourself, the athlete. How has yes. that prepared you now to work with many different athletes and remote? And I, I got a shout out to your Instagram because it's very educational. It shows you hitting these sure. lifts, and then inf- infotaining us with your, the write-ups within the videos? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of been a cumulative process, right? So, you know, I've, I've, I I wasn't intending, I never intended on doing what I'm doing now. It just kind of like happened and, you know, kind of making, making, uh, like the business wasn't planned, like all of this, you know, I wasn't planning on coaching people or working with people. It just so happens that, from you, like you said, learning and experimenting on myself to an extent, like I, I was a personal trainer when I was younger and, um, informally I've worked with probably been informally working with people and giving people tips and advice for quite a long time. And so in learning all of this stuff about myself, I've, you know, I've had like any athlete, lots of injuries and I've never been someone who wanted to outsource that sort of deciding factor um, in my own performance to where it forced me to learn the why behind what I was doing. It forced me to learn anatomy. It forced me to learn, you know, different PT methods. It forced, forced me to sort of informally learn all these things. It helps that, of course, I, you know, know some people in the industry and I have people that, you know, I've had as resources to look out to or to reach out to, you know, if, if I'm not completely sure about something, which is a lot of the time, I will speak to 10 different people that I know and, you know, taking everything with a grain of salt, take what I feel like is the common trend or the common thread that everyone seems to be kind of averaging out based on all their responses 
and um, and kind of implement something along those lines with what makes sense to me and my brain. So, you know, in, in going through this whole process and, in, you know, going through that kind of training standpoint or that, that kind of training process for myself leading up to the 2017 games um, and before that, it and and not to not to um, so subtly mention you know all the powerlifting training and the benefits that come with completely getting into another discipline that is very very much the opposite of CrossFit in terms of volume frequency intensity and that sort of thing you know it's given me a lot of of insight into you know people how they move their bodies, their, their leverages, their limb length, you know, what's realistic for them, what's not realistic for them. You know, it's kind of helped me like systemize and develop a way that whenever I work with someone, it helps me to identify the weakest link in their whole holistic process that if they were to, put their energy towards that thing, it would net them the greatest return, if that makes sense. So if I, if you come to me and you're working with me and you say, hey man, like I'm not sure if I should be supersetting my exercises or if I should be doing them horizontally, I don't know if my intensity is high enough. And I watch a video of you and you're training pretty hard and you're sweating and you're grunting and I say, okay, well, how's your sleep? And you're like, oh, I only sleep four hours a night. I don't give a shit about your training. I don't, I don't care what you're doing in your training at that point because no amount of fine-tuning your training at that point is going to overcompensate for the fact that you're only sleeping four hours. Or if your protein intake is 90 grams a day and, you know, and you're worried about you know, if you should do 120 kettlebell swings as opposed to 100, then I'm not concerned about that aspect of it. I'm concerned about the fact that you're only getting 90 grams of protein a day because for the amount of, for the amount that you stand to gain from all of the cumulative effort that you're putting into the singular goal of improving your fitness, like the amount of energy that if you were to bump your protein from like 90 grams to, if you were to double it, say if you were to double it to 180 grams, you could probably do half as many freaking kettlebell swings and make twice the progress, you know? So a lot of people just are kind of asked backwards in their approach <laughs> to things. And from, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear this, but from a practical standpoint, the, the most amount of progress they stand to gain is oftentimes not in the areas that they think they are going to be making. Like they're not, it's not in the area that they think they should be putting their effort in. Right. Most people neglect stress management. Most people are way too chronically stressed all the time and they don't understand how stress is an aggregate and it's cumulatively limiting their energy, you know, to to adapt, to make progress physically, to build new muscle tissue, to recover, to push your body into a, you know, a high percentage of output to if you're an elite athlete, mind you. Or, or even a little bit, you know, even an intermediate athlete to push your body into a, a, a point of intensity to elicit adaptation, you have to be able to put your body there in the first place. And you can't do that if you're overstressed and underslept. 
How are so, you managing stress? I mean, if it, how is, yeah, how like how are you managing stress? Like, if you were encountering this in a in somebody you're you're training and you're working with, are you going through with like a questionnaire? Is it a a Q and A observation questions, and then uh, you, you know you taking that information? How are you making tweaks? So someone, you know, say someone would sign up with me, they would fill out obviously a detailed questionnaire that at least gives me a starting point, and it's pretty detailed. And really, the main things that I need to know personally are what is your job? What is your family life like? Do you have a support system? What time are you going to bed at? What time are you waking up? And give me a realistic idea of your diet. Not a, not a best case scenario of your diet, a realistic idea of your diet. Obviously training comes into play because that's a stress also. But you know they'll give me all that information. And the first step is just awareness. You can't fix something that you don't know and that you're not aware of. Most people, you know, most people in their schedules have a certain room that they, without really changing their schedule, without really changing their existing responsibilities, there's a certain amount of cushion that when they're aware of what they need to be doing, they can push that a little bit. You know, whether it's the 30 minutes they're spending on their phone before bed or whether it's, you know, the time here that they're wasting or the time there that they're wasting. Most people can squeeze a little bit more out of their life in terms of, um, you know, they can they if they're aware of, you know, areas that they're not managing their stress appropriately or if they're aware of negative thought patterns, you can get quite a bit out of that. You can squeeze quite a bit out uh, quite a bit out of that in terms of improving the outcome before you have to say like, yo, you need to start taking an extra day off from work or something like that. You know, so just like, you know, if, if I was working with you and, and you were to kind of give me an idea of your schedule and, you know, we start to talk, we start, we get to talking more and you're kind of telling me, you know, that you're stressed about shit at home or there's this thing that you've been putting off. Or, you know, and notice we're not even talking about training. This is all holistic. This well, is now all you're in the therapist. So now you become yeah, a therapist. Yeah, exactly. And we're, you know, we're kind of delving a little bit into your mind and how you process information and psychology and that sort of thing. You know, it's really just a lot of it comes back to your mindset, right? So, um, so you know, you, 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 you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, if we're going to work together and you, um, ah, I kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, we were talking no, about, you, no, like you were talking about like developing a mindset, like get into that a little bit. Like, like, um, I mean, is it, uh, something where you're strategically, you know, focusing on different things to try to create uh, a mindset or is it somewhere where you're just like, Hey, fuck it. I'm going in the gym and just ripping these bars in half. Um, gotcha. I sometimes wonder, I mean, cause how, how old are you? 20? I, th- I just turned 30 in August, so okay, my body's so, just starting to break down. Yeah, so <laughs> don't say that. I, I remember in my 20s uh, being like, fuck, I didn't care what was on the bar. I was going to lift it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's funny. I mean, shit, dude. Like, I, I remember just fucking absolutely just trying to destroy everything. And my mindset yeah. was just like nobody was going to outwork me. Nobody was going to be sure. better than me. Nobody was going to do more than me. And uh, at sure. the end of the day, you know, like, you know, what is it? Uh, 
as you walk through the shadow of the valley of death, you know, be the baddest motherfucker. Like that was always my mentality. So, uh, but, yeah. you, but you build those blocks over the course of time of training, executing and focusing in that. How do you take that? Like if somebody comes to you that doesn't have that mentality, what, what roadblocks, what situations you put in place to help them build that? Right. So, so when it comes to that, right, I think, I think a key component of that is knowledge. And when I say knowledge, I'm talking, oh gosh, I have my, um, my little terrorist is trying to get up here. Aww. For our <laughs> listeners, what, Ian, what kind of dog is that? What kind of little It's pup? a Belgian Malinois. How, how old is he? She's, she's 10 weeks and she's my little fur terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, uh, high motor dogs to say the least. Uh, that's yeah. A, she, she's that's actually pretty chill. For, yeah, uh, that's a, Bel- for, a Belgian. Yeah. She's actually, she's pretty chill for, for, from from what I've from the opinions of others that I've got that are knowledgeable, yeah. Um, <laughs> our buddy Jeff Gonzalez just has he, he has a beautiful little female that he brought in, and uh, yeah. those dogs are you know been used for you know like the uh, for all the SEAL teams have you know used mm-hmm. Belgians are pretty bitching dogs, mm-hmm. super athletic. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited with her, but <laughs> sorry, sorry to digress. Well, she had right. to jump up and make an appearance. Um, but yeah, back to your question. So. Um, when we're kind of talking about that mindset, like communicating that to someone, I tend to, um, it all starts with knowledge, right? So if you don't have sort of a base understanding of how the body functions, then, you know, it makes it a lot easier to sort of push your, push your governor, so to speak, to kind of like push your rev limiter to kind of like constantly go hard, slam the bar. You have to make the weight every single day. You know, once you, once you really get a little bit of, you know, obviously experience comes into play, but once you get like a good bit of knowledge in terms of physiology, in terms of like how the body functions and peaks and troughs, you know, how you understand sleep works, nutrition works, how you understand it all kind of ties in to sort of predispose you to be able to output higher, higher forces and higher strength numbers at certain periods of time. And that, you know, when you understand that you're not necessarily supposed to be able to sustain those outputs or put those outputs out every single day, then it becomes a little bit easier from a mental component to realistically adjust your expectations for certain amount, like certain, you know, certain performances, if you will, certain workouts, right? So, you know, there's, there's obviously purposes behind many different kinds of workouts, but like whenever I talk to most people, you know, and this is my conversation with a lot of CrossFit athletes, I've worked with a few CrossFit games athletes and my conversation with them is they're all, you know, they, they talk to me, they'll talk to me about their week. They'll talk to me about their workout and they'll say, they'll say, you know, all right, well, like these, these couple of days, these were really good. I, I really felt on fire these days. This day I was dragging ass, you know, and you know, this day I was dragging ass and I just, I'm really, really frustrated because I really wanted to push it on those days. And I'll say, yo, like, you're not, you're not meant to be able to go 110% every single day of the week. If you decide to, you know, burn your intense day on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, don't expect to output in that threshold. It's not realistic, right? So, so whenever I would talk to her, I'll say, you know, or him, I'll say, you know, typically rule of thumb 
what I would what I would say is give yourself two days a week that you allow yourself to go full force, full bore, full full intensity, red line, whatever term you want to use, right? Give yourself two days a week that you want to do that. And I would space those days roughly at least, you know, 48 to 72 hours apart. You don't want to put them any sooner than that. You want at least two days between those days, right? So you have two, two really high intensity days. I would give yourself two moderate intensity days where you're still challenging yourself, but there's no massive pressure expectation to really go to that dark place. Those are those moderate days are still very productive training days. You can still be pushing weaknesses on those days if you want, and then give yourself one to two low intensity days. And that would be like, um, if you're a CrossFit athlete, that would be a day to come in and do like some bodybuilding or do some stuff to train some muscles or some movements that you don't normally train. Maybe you don't normally compete with, um, you know, some single joint isolation work stuff to move, um, potentially a long duration, uh, aerobic steady state, uh, training session, you know, things like that. The key to kind of circle back around your question is really just teaching someone to understand that the body isn't meant to push heavy or high intensity or in those upper thresholds of their heart rate for extended periods of time and extended durations and extended reps and sets. You know, once you understand that, then then it kind of starts to make sense. And that's how it kind of started to make sense for me. Once I understood that, then I was able to look back at my own training and I was able to sort of notice a pattern of, oh, that makes sense. You mean the day after I went balls to the wall and we trained for six hours, the two days after that I was spent and my my 60% of why my one rep max felt like my one rep max, but I didn't lift any weights that day, but it's all intensity. You know, it's all intensity. It's all, you know, to, to use a, a word that many people might not want to use it. It's all part of your intrinsic vitality, so to speak, those efforts take from you and it takes a little while before you can get the ability back to do that. Right. And so the longer the longer we exist and the longer we've been on this planet, the longer it takes us to get a little bit of that vitality back to be able to put out those high efforts. Two questions based off this. Number one, a lighthearted one. Is hypertrophy still a dirty word in the CrossFit community? Um, I don't think so. OK, I, 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 I think I think that community and that get mind you i've i haven't been super i haven't been super submerged in it in the last year or two um i think you know and not to i think that the 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 crossfit population audience as a whole has been kind of led around in a bunch of different directions with all of the changes and things that have kind of gone through there so i don't know if they're as unified as they could be right now but I don't, I think, and from what I, from what I've seen from a lot of fairly prominent athletes is that they're starting to understand that there is a benefit to, I might call it the, the symmetry that you can achieve from more hypertrophy style training, bodybuilding style training, um, utilizing solely CrossFit movements. You can develop. You can develop a pretty extremely athletic, you know, very high level physique, 
but there's just certain muscles that you don't hit in a certain way without the use, I believe, of some of those uh, more isolation style movements, bodybuilding style movements. There's a lot of movements that you don't use in, comp in CrossFit competition that are still extremely beneficial uh, to train on a regular basis. Now, whether that's whether those movements reinforce posture, whether they, um, a lot of them reinforce posture, whether they reinforce weak muscle groups that should be strong. Um, you know, a lot of CrossFitters I know have, or that I know and that I've seen have, um, they get low back injuries because their butts are weak because CrossFit is very quad dominant. Um, and that's probably, that was one of the large uh, changes that I made to my training because I noticed that I was extremely quad dominant and my my deadlift was not where it should have been in relation to my squat. Um, there was actually a point where I learned what a glute ham raise was. And this was a while ago, though. This was like back in 2012 or 2013. I learned what a glute ham raise was. And I actually quit squatting for like a month or two while I pushed glute ham raises like two to three times a week. And um, I tested my squat at the beginning and it was like 450. And I went from not being able to do one rep of a glute ham raise at body weight to um, being able to do like three sets at 10. And I retested my squat max and it jumped up to 520. Um, so just like there's, there's so many, so many ways that those kind of non-traditional CrossFit training methods can benefit an athlete in those competitive movements. Um, just, you know, whether it's upper back strength or whether it's, you know, postural or whether it's pull strength or their arm strength, a lot of times, you know, the only way, like once you've done a movement so many times, like a toe, toes to bar, a muscle up, et cetera, you have to start to take a step back and sort of really, really dissect the movement and see how you can make it better and what you need to use to make that better. And oftentimes in breaking down that movement, you have to start to isolate the muscles involved in that movement. Um, you know, I'll quote one of my athletes recently. She's, she's getting ready for the open and she's a pretty high level competitor. And I actually, while she was up in Canada and they were dealing with lockdowns and stuff, she was like, all right, well, I don't really have, you know, I'm not competing anytime soon. So I don't see the need to push all this conditioning right now. Then I said, no, don't, don't, you can bring your conditioning back in, you know, a month or two if you need to. Um, Cause I, you're obviously not going to let it suffer that much. Your base training still has cardio and, you know, workouts in it. But I said, do a, do a powerlifting block, you know, do a powerlifting block, do like a eight to 12 week block. Um, you know, keep some rowing, keep some biking, you know, keep a few of these modalities in there to maintain your aerobic capacity. But I said, do a strength block, see what happens. Do like an, a pure absolute strength block. Cause that's kind of one of the things she struggles with. She said, okay. And, uh, it was, it was something I'd written for her or not specifically for her, but something I'd written. And, um, I do in my training personally, and in a lot of pretty much everyone's training that I do, right. I include a very, very large amount of butt and back work, um, including the rear delts. And, you know, to quote some, um, to quote some high level, uh, prominent strength athletes and strict people in the strength industry, there's a few muscles that you can't, that you can't have too big or too strong. And that's your butt back and rear delts. 
Um, and, and I'll, I'll stand by that as well. Uh, but in doing, in doing some of the, the training that, um, that she was following, you know, the, the powerlifting training I mentioned, or call it absolute strength training, whatever you want to call it. She went to go retest her muscle ups and she goes, well, I just broke my PR by like three or four reps. And I was like, Oh, why do you think she's like, well, my back just felt insanely strong. And we've been doing, you know, variations of rows, dumbbell rows, chest supported rows, cable rows, et cetera. We've been doing rows three times a week, um, you know, for the last eight to 12 weeks among many, among deadlifts, you know, weighted pull-ups, all kinds of other back exercises. She's like, I don't remember the last time that I've done such a large amount of concentrated back accessory work that, you know, I, I just, she said, I've never done that. And I said, huh, so it sounds like before your back was strong, but doing all the stuff that you've never done before, we just made it even stronger. And there was a huge carryover to your, to your pulling strength in gymnastics. I mean, and weightlifting also, she saw it in the weightlifting too, just her ability to maintain posture through the different pulling positions and snatch and clean and jerk. But, um, but I, I think that, um, I think that a lot of to kind of <laughs> to kind of answer your question in a very long-winded way, I think that there is a, a large portion of the community that's starting to kind of notice the benefits of training in these ways that may previously, you know, were seen as being non-traditional and non-beneficial. It's like we all we're all we're all athletes along the spectrum from endurance to pure strength, to hypertrophy to everywhere and anywhere in between. And oftentimes it's the areas that you're not spending time at the areas and you're lacking the areas that you're lacking in that stand to in to that stand to sort of bring your whole machine to a new level. If that makes sense. Yeah. And the, the follow-up here, what is the knowledge experience within that community? If we look at the the wave of, I'll use college football as an example, it was a long time. We as coach, I'm pretending to be a college football coach, um, mm. trying to protect what we do in the weight room. It's sacred, it's secret. And mm. now we've seen the evolution where it's, it's all on social media, it's all open. Me going to different conferences, strength coach conferences, they're up presenting and sharing and it's very forward facing what they're doing within the weight room. Now it's on the football coaches to make these badass motherfuckers win. So what mm -hmm. is the, what is, is there a knowledge share among the coaches who are working with athletes or are there still people trying to protect their secrets? Um, that's a good question, man. I think that, I think that if I'd, an, the, if I'd answer that question, I would say for me personally, I think that, if I were to guess, or if I were to make an educated guess, I would say it's been more organic as opposed to being official, like an official, like an official thing that's done. I would say it's been more organic via podcasts and likely more so athletes looking on Instagram and seeing what other athletes they're doing that are beating them and showing their coach and saying, Hey, she's doing this. Like I want to do this. And you know, people, I think certain athletes that, um, that kind of do a bit more of a well-rounded training program are starting to make that a little bit more public 
And so a lot of people are kind of catching on. And I think it's a little bit more born out of competition and competitive desire and just a natural evolution versus more of a more of a like a formal sharing of information for the sake of education or benefit. I think what's happening, at least what I've noticed is um, like the people that are really good at this stuff are never redlining. They're just their their base level has reached such a high level that like, Mm. you know, let's say their max heart rate is, let's say, I don't know, fucking 190, right? They're able to work at like 135, you know, 135, 140 beats at that 70, 80%. And they're able to work in that zone for long periods of time and moving as fast as they can. Because you see, mm-hmm. like, the difference. You'll see people that, like, redline, all of a sudden they come off and it's that huge endorphin deal and their eyes get big and they're fucking smashed. And then you see other yeah. people come off that are moving so fast and they jump yeah. off and they're like, <sighs> yawn. Yeah, yawn. And it's, uh, it's really pretty interesting. I think the days of, like, the CrossFitter basically spiking into things have kind of died. And now the mm-hmm. people that I've observed are just so efficient and their base level of conditioning is so high that they're able mm-hmm. to put out such a high output. <sighs> and then just kind of like, okay, on to the next one. Because yeah. as you know, like think about like you peak for a powerlifting meet, you hit that peak, all of a sudden you're tapped out for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. You know, and that far reaching could definitely puts you into a deficit. And what's amazing when you look at like, uh, you know, a lot of the CrossFit comps and whatnot, you know, it's such a barrage and such a like a multitude of workouts of such, you know, mixed disciplines that if all of a sudden you're over there, you know, taking smelling salts and popping ephedrine and, you know, drinking a bunch of Red Bulls and howling at the moon, you know, going Latimer style, spit in my mouth. Place at the table. Yeah, place at the table. You only get one of those. And uh, it's... um you know, we figured this out years ago in our training where, uh, you know, the training had to be real low heart rate. Like every day we went in there to train, there was like a super consistent deal. And whenever dudes would come in that were like drinking coffee and like, you know, hidden smelling salts and whatnot, I just knew they didn't have the ability. If you're taking smelling salts for practice, like that was a weird one in training camp. You see dudes hitting that and I'm like, oh, fuck, you're not going to make it six weeks. Because you're <laughs> reaching, overreaching into that bucket, which yeah. when you overreach, you know, now yeah. all of a sudden you're in a deficit. So the one yeah. thing that's been impressive with the CrossFit community uh, is it feels like the base level of conditioning has reached such a point that if you're mm. redlining for a workout, you mm. are basically... It's, it's fuck, too late. Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> like that was the one. I mean, I... Um, I think CrossFit's really interesting. I think when it started, it was, and you you, you kind of can subscribe to this a little bit, but it kind of started in this training, and then we just saw, when we saw the money and we saw the thing grow, all of a sudden now you get outliers, and you have a dude who's like, you know, Froning, for example, and, and Matt Frazier, who remind me of Homer Simpson in the boxing deal. You remember when those guys, when he gets in the boxing ring, and the dude just basically punches him until he falls down? You've got... <laughs> Right. And Homer just takes the shots and then he's the heavyweight uh, champ. I just remember him punching bag for Mo. <laughs> yeah. And there's a fly that like flies and he punches the fly and then it flies away. Yeah, like, dude. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's kind of the deal where these guys can take so much volume and they don't really look like they're in those upper registers. And I wonder mm-hmm. if there's like a training adaptation or if we're just seeing like a natural selection for these individuals. I mean, you, you see it in powerlifting where there's just. And the, the thing that's always trips me about powerlifting is there's always like some like weird 17, 18 year old kid in Iceland 
who's like 320 <laughs> pounds that just squatted 800 pounds. And you're like, holy shit, look at the size. How old is that kid? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, and you know, he's only been training for a year. Oh, yeah, like three months. He's like, yeah, I just picked this, you know, the Derek Woodski. Is this supposed to be heavy? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the one thing that always trips about powerlifting is like, there's always some imaginary creature hiding in the woods to come out of people and remind you exactly how far evolution is pushing or de evolution is pushing. Neo? Yeah, seriously. Like, it, like in, uh, Jesse Burdick's great. He posts that What the Fuck Friday, uh, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And he'll post some shit and I'll be like, fucking hell. What the this? fuck? Yeah, like, what is going on here? And uh, yeah. I mean, even, even the CrossFit thing, man, like, I think we got to the point where you're just seeing natural selection kick in. Where now mm-hmm. it's like, hey, you know, the days of like, I'm going to go into my garage and secret squirrel some program and win the CrossFit Games. Fuck, man, you needed to be there in 2008, 2009 when I competed. Like, if you're doing it now, like the capacity and the output that those guys are putting out consistently absolutely yeah. blows my mind. But if you see them, they're like, you know, hey, I did 100 toes to bar in a row and then they get off and they're like, ah, next one. And you're like, holy shit, I'd be <laughs> dead for a week if I had to do 100 toes to bar. Just the eccentric load would, would have fucking killed me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, it's, I think, I think, um, I think you're very right. You're very much right that it has naturally selected for a certain body size and a certain body type. And you're way too big. I'm way too heavy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was the largest dude to ever compete in the CrossFit games. 308 pounds. Yeah. Six, six, 308 pounds. I'm sure Ian's number two. And the next dude was 175. Well, Ian, did they weigh, do weigh-ins like in the programs? There's no, I wish, I I Uh, wish they did. Well, the problem is all those girls would go in there and be like, there'd be a bunch of girls that were 108 and then a bunch of girls that were like 180. And they'd be like, yeah. I'll tell you though. I mean, yeah. the, uh, it, it's kind of like the, the, and this is no dig on, uh, on the guys, but I find the CrossFit girls are way more impressive than the CrossFit dudes. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I played in the NFL where dudes never lifted weights and still were 4% body fat and fucking shredded. Um, mm-hmm. I've never in my life seen like the level of muscularity and, and like conditioning and just shape that the girls that do CrossFit are. I mean, like, and, and don't, and you know, you can, throw the drug, drug conversation into it. But I mean, for the most yeah. part, like some really physical improvements in females, I've, I've never seen anything like it. The, well, the interesting thing to me when it comes to the girl side of things is how the level of strength and muscularity they can possess while still being able to function to a high degree with regard to endurance and gymnastics. Right. Because for me, that was always my struggle. I never really worried about being strong because I had a strength surplus, but I almost had enough strength to where I didn't need it. I didn't need a 600 squat, you know, for and in no way did I do I think that helped me. I just had it. And in maintaining my work capacity, you know, lifting however long because I would, you know, squat one time, you know, once a week, I just wanted to make sure that a squat workout wouldn't wreck me. I wasn't necessarily trying to get strong, right? So, you know, the the level of strength and muscularity and, you know, the numbers they can put up on the strength numbers on, on you know, lifts nowadays, Olympic lifts, you know, squat, bench, CrossFit total, all the, all the ways they uh, express that, you know, while still being able to hang in terms of, you know, running a mile, rowing, um, you know, unbroken sets of muscle-ups, it, it, it's like, it kind of almost seems like it defies the laws of physics because I know, you know, being a stronger guy, it was like, 
the guys that were excelling at muscle ups were the lighter guys, you know, the smaller guys, the guys that you would obviously look at them, you know, and say physically like, okay, it makes sense that you can float up above the rings easier. It makes sense that you're running a five minute mile. You know, it makes sense that you're not, you know, that you're not winning the CrossFit total per se. You know, it was a little bit more like easy to spot. Whereas the girls side, it's not at all. I see girls that are huge that are, you know, killing it in terms of gymnastics and endurance and that sort of thing. And, you know, to, in reference to what you're saying before, as far as, you know, it's selecting people. I think that one of the main, the, one of the large players and key players in that is the fact that there's only so many movements that they, that are measurable, that they can test to include in the competition that, you know, when you've been, when someone's been doing this for two, three, four, five, six, seven years, however many years a lot of these elite athletes have been doing it, that they've developed, not only is their base level of conditioning extremely high, not only are they physically built in a way that is advantageous to do these movements compared to other people, you know, being around that, that stockier height, that five, eight to five, 10 height, but they've developed such a level of movement proficiency and efficiency at these movements to where their, their base aerobic capacity is here. And the amount of energy it takes to do these movements has gone from here to here. So they basically turned all these movements that before were anaerobic movements. They're now purely aerobic movements. So to them, you know, doing some of these movements is akin to what running would be like to somebody else. Sure. You know, their strength is just at that sweet spot to where these prescribed weights that they're giving them in the games are, you know, more cardiovascularly taxing than anaerobically, like muscularly taxing. And the easy way, the easy way to offset all of that is to up the RX working weights for the athletes. But, you know, that would that would I don't think they would ever do that because then that would drive the athletes to do more drugs. And then, you know, and, and that's I don't think that's the the look they're going for. I don't think that's the type of, you know, competition they necessarily want to attract, you know, and that's a whole nother issue. You drive up the RX, you know, you drive up the working weights. It's going to offset that, and the athletes are going to have to adapt and evolve. And, you know, human physiology only allows for one to reach so far. And so that presents a whole nother challenges that the athletes are, you know, then forced to meet when you have 350000 or however many dollars are on the line these days. Sure. Do, do you feel that money changed that and then brought the maybe some more in motivated uh, athletes? Dude, as soon as you add money into the pile, and that's when shit gets serious. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, people look at it and think, okay, hey, there's something online. When things are just for, like, glory and for recreation, like, you know, like, a, you know, put, like, a, a charity 5K, right? But then all of a sudden, they're like, winner gets 1,000. All of a sudden, some dude who runs, Move. you know, a fucking 15-minute 5K comes out yeah. and is like, shit, I'll roll out of bed and bang this out for 1,000 bucks. Then he goes yeah. out and hammers it. So I, I think when you start adding money into the mix. Did um, uh, 2008 have some cash? Yeah, I think so. Or is it just free T-shirt? I think it was a free T-shirt and just a fucking slaughter fest and a bunch of dirt. Uh, it sucked. Uh, that was a terrible fucking idea. Uh, the the it's it's money and just the overall scope of things. The fact that 
you know, if you, you know, the fact that it's so large now that winning the CrossFit games can literally make you, you know, it can make you. And if you're smart with that, you know, and how social media works, you can use that to basically catapult, you know, a six figure salary for a very long time. You know, people are that's, you know, a lot of people would a lot of athletes would assume that risk any day. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's really, that's the sim, that's the simplicity of it. You know, that's about how, how simple it is in my eyes for a lot of those guys. And I've been around them. I've competed around them. I've seen quite a bit of stuff. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, would not say that, uh, choir boys, I mean, unless, unless it got to the point where they were like in the NFL, where they were testing every two weeks, mm. you know, I mean, should I got tested what, 24 times a year? Maybe yeah, but even even weeks. then, man, even then, like, it's, you know, and I'm not, you can't really, I can't speak to it now because obviously the transfer of ownership and, you know, all the changes that have taken place in that realm over the last year or two. But back when it was like traditional, you know, ran by the people that it used to have, that it used to being run by, like it was a business and it was arguable if the same standards were applied to all of the athletes or not. Fuck no. Come on. Let's be <laughs> fucking honest in this. Like, I mean, they weren't going to, I think they weren't going to unseat their champions. Yeah. I think they get yeah. into it and it's like, you know, the best have to be the best. And, uh, you know, if you're not on, I guess within the realm of who they want, then it's easier to, you know, make some sacrificial lambs and curb stomp some people. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, poor, poor Ricky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there. Uh, yeah, who? Yeah, what was the guy that got got? Uh, he uh, tested positive. Rick? It was it was Ricky Ricky Gerard. He yeah. kind of came out of nowhere, and he wasn't a Reebok athlete. Yeah. He wasn't you know, and I think he got he came on third, I think, a few years back, and then you know they kind of used him as the the sacrificial lamb, and like that was kind of almost sad to see. Like most most. Most average, most gen pop would see that and they would kind of see what, you know, what the kind of propaganda wanted them to see. Um, but like having been an athlete and kind of knowing how things work on the back end, it was kind of it was kind of almost sad to see like them using him as an example. He's like he's like 20 years old or like 23 years old. He's like a, he's a freaking kid, man. Like and, you know, he's now going to be tainted by that whole ordeal, you know, standing on the podium, like vacating his spot for another guy who's probably doing the same shit, you know, but they liked him a little bit more. Well, I mean, hopefully with the change in ownership and, um, you know, uh, Glassman Exodus and uh, Eric Rosa, who's actually a pretty stand up dude from everything I've read, uh, mm -hmm. maybe they bring a certain level of, mm -hmm. I don't know, um, fairness. Maybe yeah, fair, yeah, I was going to say like unilateral. Like, like yeah like a standard like some form of like unilateral fairness where yeah you know everybody's kind of treated in the same deal i mean it's like <laughs> i mean think, think about the olympics i mean carl um you know ben johnson test positive carl lewis tested positive at the same time and nobody ever heard about that so they yeah, fucking burned right. they burned ben johnson at the stake but carl lewis also tested positive because he's a canadian yeah <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah you don't like the well he's a charlie francis guy and those guys did not uh like charlie at all I'm, you know, I'm actually really, really excited to see. I'm, I'm really excited to see the direction they take things in. 
because if there is one thing that made me personally sad was when they took away regionals. And I yeah. think a lot of people kind of felt the same way just because of what I believe the integral role that that competition played in terms of the community, in terms of the community like that, that was like, they couldn't afford it. It was purely a financial yeah. decision. So I know. Uh, for all the money CrossFit made, uh, they were better than anybody I've ever seen about burning cash. I mean, they must've had 300 people on staff. I mean, Glassman had his own personal, uh, uh like advice, like art, curators i mean just fucking ridiculousness and the financial implications for the regionals became too overbearing and uh yeah. it was purely a financial decision so that's when they went into these regional competitions so i think a lot of the moves that they made were because of just not managing their money very well and yeah. the exorbited you know media teams and just you know when a company gets really big like that there just becomes this endless amount of red tape and bloat and people that are just you know and their deal was never to run lean and then all of a sudden they start running into some money deal they cut regionals they cut the media team i mean these were not existential moves made because glassman had some fucking vision of some free market libertarian business these were purely financial decisions because they were fucking basically spending themselves insolvent so yeah. like you know like yeah like regionals the shit like they should go back to that format unfortunately they won't because i think this idea of actually like having sanctioned events and then letting these individuals run them has probably mm. done a really good job of basically allowing really high-end business people that know how to run these events come in yeah. and put on some really amazing deal like well, when i shout out luke <laughs> Espy, the freaking yeah. mid-atlantic challenge callie and i participated in the first one as yeah. crossfit dupont but then dudes evolved and it's now a yeah internationally known yeah, event yeah like Wadapalooza and all these crazy oh that's events. a fun have, have you done that one ian i i did Wadapalooza probably i've uh, i've competed i competed in that competition probably four or five times yeah and awesome. different oh, yeah the pictures, pictures always look awesome. amazing you what yeah the pictures always look amazing yeah the 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 venues, I, it's almost outgrowing the venue. They're almost kind of, they've been maxing out. They're, it's almost like they're, I mean, depending on the year, um, there have been some years that have been busier than others just due to whatever, whatever you know, numerous variables at play. But they've almost, they've pretty much, from what I can see, have maxed out that venue in terms of like the square footage of the space they have to occupy. Um, you know, and the guests that they can kind of tolerate there and, you know, the events that they can put on, et cetera. But um, it was very well done. I, I did it a few years uh, individually, and then I did it probably a couple of years on a team. But like it kind of made sense, the proximity, um, do it like the proximity to where I lived. But it's been that where do you like live? that's you the, live in downtown Miami. Like, where do you live? Right now, I live in Midtown, which is like maybe 10 to 15 minutes north of downtown. Yeah, I used to live um, in South Beach. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah right on 17th and James. Okay, yeah. yeah so, I, I've um, been down there for a couple of years. My first rookie year, or so my, my rookie year in the NFL, I moved down to Tampa. And I lived in Tampa for about five years. And one year, I went down and rented a place in South Beach and lived there for about three months and then fucking hightailed what, it out of there. One of my favorite bars in the country is the clevelander oh yeah i've stayed at that hotel many a time yeah i, th I thought you were going to say space or god what were all those crazy no, ass bars we, we went to we did about 10 years ago shit did a lacrosse tournament so 
we got the band back together for my team. Oh, nice. Went down to Miami for a weekend. Clevelander. Forgot there were games. Just we were having too much fun on South <laughs> Beach. Uh, yeah, dude, uh, uh, to, to this day, Tony Gonzalez's favorite spot is uh, Mango's. Like, I remember every oh, time... the two tiers... Is that two tiers in the That's stage? where, like, all the Latin girls wear all, like, the crazy yeah. outfits and they sell those drinks. Like, we used to, like, <laughs> as soon as we would go down, like, we, we would go stay, uh, you know, down there. We'd go for Model Week or whatever it was. First place you'd always have to oh, pay yeah, was Mango's. Model Week, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> well, pre... Back before you, uh, there were all these dime pieces just posting on Instagram, you actually had to go to places that you knew that really hot chicks were going to be at. Like, Fashion <laughs> Week, Model Week, Real like... Life all of these different kind of like events that you would go to playboy mansion playboy mansion uh vegas you know uh the 50th anniversary of playboy magazine which i was at i mean all of these things were where you went now it's like you can just open up instagram and all of a sudden like look at these dime pieces you know like paul carter i mean that guy gets hit up what like 300 times a day by all these dime pieces looking to figure out how to do more glute training Mm. Well, they 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 don't have to they don't have to go appear in public now to make money. They can do it from their Instagram account or their OnlyFans account, and they can make a hundred thousand dollars a month. And why would you go stay up until three a.m. and get cocked out when you can do it from your phone? I yeah no it's uh, uh hey Tex how is your fans only account going? My fans only uh, <laughs> is it only fans or fans only? No only fan. <laughs> That's how Luke and I text is. Just we continue to support each other that way, <laughs> emotionally, financially. Ten cents a day. Don't worry, bro. I got you. You know, it's 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 so funny. The the that whole that whole dynamic. A buddy of mine is a pretty uh, strong powerlifter. He competes in April, and the other day he was squatting and he was doing some absurd weight for a certain number of reps. He was probably doing like seven fifty for a triple or something in like one of his working sets. And one of these girls came up in the gym and like walked by and it was one of the girls that runs one of these like million follower accounts and makes a ton of money and looks absolutely nothing in real life, like what she does in her photos. And she walked by and apparently she said that she said his squats looked rough and it got back to him. And it probably like I've never seen him so flustered and annoyed that one of these OnlyFans girls told like said that his like very clean seven hundred and fifty pound squats looked rough. He's, he's, he he's obviously it up on a big prima. He, he's obviously a big prima donna of some no name girl who basically gets <laughs> paid money to <laughs> post for, like like so I I still can't even figure like uh, I know we discussed this fans only thing. But I'm like, so are they naked pictures? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, aren't those all over the internet for free? And they're yeah. like, yeah. But then she talks to them. I'm like, like on social, like it, it just, um, yeah. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I'm like, what? It's like internet peep show, basically. Yeah. It just, it just seems, I don't know, dude. This whole thing. I mean, I keep hoping this experiment, the internet just goes away, like pockets and zippers <laughs> and all these experiments. You know, who knows? Did yeah, you, did you, when you were in Miami, did you enjoy your time in Miami? Yeah, I had, uh, one of the best times I had this dope apartment, like uh, uh-huh. condo. I had a badass twin turbo Porsche, uh-huh. uh, had my little pit bull and we just hung out when I went over and banged some weights every day and then we'd go get lunch. And then, uh, I like ended up meeting up with all these, uh, well, I, I could say they were rich cause they were spending a lot of money. But the interesting thing was that I didn't know what anybody did for a living. That was the weirdest yeah. part about Miami for me. I knew what I did for a living and I knew this sure. was my off season. So I had time off these people. Yeah. 
like I don't know what the fuck they did, but they was like we used to just and, and it was like hey there was it was mint and then this place and like every night there was a different place to go and like wow. it was bottle service and tables and these girls were smoke shows and like it was just uh, it was a really fun three months so I, I went down there in like a January and wow. right around. How did that affect your training? It, it fucked my training. But then I remember <laughs> I hightailed it back to Tampa like in like right around my birthday into March. And we hit it fucking full go. And I remember Ruiz was like, we got we got a lot of work to do. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time, though. I, I definitely enjoy my time in Miami anytime I get to go. There is, I, I don't even know if the restaurant's still there, but there was a, this cool restaurant we used to go to called Tantric where every food, like every meal was some like tantric thing. And man, they had the fucking craziest drinks. We, you know, I don't, all- I tried to, um, I don't venture into the realm of South beach. Usually if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a weird place. Prime One Twelve, which I, I would imagine still there is still one of my favorite restaurants. You know, um, you know what is there that I'll go to is the Russian and Turkish bathhouse. Oh, Nice, where they beat you with uh, with those big reeds of uh, yeah, with the bush. They have the they have the um, burning. What the, are they? Uh, what's the bush? Is it um, like eucalyptus leaves? Like they have these big things, and they kind of like smoking, burning, and they beat fucking beat you with them. In in the in you'll go into the the, the Russian Schwitz, and it's like it's probably like two hundred plus degrees in there, and they have you. It's it's hot just being in there, but they take the bushes. And when you wave them around in the air, they get even hotter and they hit you with them. And it's like your skin's like three or 400 degrees. Somehow it feels kind of good and like makes your skin all red because of all the blood flow and everything. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a place that we'll, me and my buddy will venture to whenever we've beat our bodies to a pulp and we need to just like go sous vide in the, in the steam room. It's a good way of putting it to you like a sous vide. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, they're like uh, the interesting thing about Miami is uh, it's in the United States, but it's not the United States. No, it's like not. it's it's uh, it's just kind of a different world, man. I really enjoyed yeah. my time when I was there, and there's just like and, and it's a really interesting piece because uh, there's such a big swath of like haves, you know, like people are living on these like you know epic places and people that have money, and then there's like people that have nothing. So it's just it's a really it was cool when I always dug the Art Deco and every time we've ever been down there. So it's a, it's a fun place. But Tampa was actually a lot. I'll tell you this, per capita, and you probably know this, there were probably more good-looking girls in Tampa than any place I'd ever lived in my entire life. Like it yeah, was, it was I really t- like Tampa. Dude, it was crazy. Like We'd go out places, and I'd like look around, and I'd be like, Dude, any one of these girls in Orange County would be the hottest chickens on the street. Gasparilla. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like it was it was unreal. Like I had never in my life. That's why I lived down there five years. And um, it was. Well, I get it. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like to this day, like if, if I ever had to move back to Florida, I would live in Tampa. I loved it there. I had a great, great experience. I'm actually I'm in Clearwater right now. Oh, nice. Where are I? I used to live in Safety Harbor. Okay. It's like uh, kind of right up north by the Dunedin Causeway. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if, if you want to cross the, like the, um, um, like the, like the causeway, uh, like you're headed to Clearwater from Tampa, you know, and there's, um, God, what's, what's the name of that restaurant? That's right in the middle. But yeah, as you get over there and I can't remember what that causeway is called. It's not, is it Gulf to Bay? Yeah. The Gulf to Bay causeway. So right uh-huh. at that first exit, you make the right turn and then that's safety Harbor back there. And I used to live right back there. Yeah. My okay, neighbor was, cool. uh, my neighbor was David Wells. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the um, the I've I've been 
I've been, I don't know, I've been in Miami for two years now and, and I'm contemplating making the move over this way just because I got this crazy terrorist of a dog and she wants a little bit more than uh, concrete and sidewalks and stuff. And um, I know some people over here, a lot of the strength community over here, fitness community, you know some gyms to train at. My mom lives over here. My brother lives over here. Like I'm, I'm kind of coming to the point in my life where I think I'm going to enjoy a little bit more space and a li little bit more of a rural environment, the ability to like get out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, it's, uh, Miami's interesting, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. like, it's like one of those places that like, I, you feel like you're in like a really interesting, like it felt like you were in Brazil or some form of third world, you know, not third world, but it just doesn't feel like the United States. And, uh, it rem I've been to quite a bit of places in South America and it feels a lot to me like Buenos Aires in Argentina. Oh, yeah. That's, I, that's I feel like what Argentina. it feels like to me. Yeah. The, uh, the culture that, you know, the people, the vibe, like just the overall sort of hustle and bustle and, you know, everybody's kind of mannerisms and persona and stuff. That's, that's, that's what it kind of feels like to me. It's just, for me, it's just too crowded. It's just become too crowded. Like, I, I like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pros to it and there's some cons to it. But at the end of the day, like <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm, I'm on the verge of needing to go back to my roots. <laughs> nice. So, so you don't own a gym, you just kind of run in traveling samurai, just training to different people's spots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, man, I've just having lived here my whole life, I probably know in any major city, you know, multiple gym owners and just from competing in CrossFit, competing in powerlifting now. And, um, you know, I was, I was training at the, the location of the company I used to work with and I've kind of switched and, you know, I train at a couple different places in Miami. I'll come over to Tampa. Um, I know Ben Pikulski, so I've been, I train at MI40 quite a bit. Um, train it. I know a guy that, you know, pretty much know, all of the main gym owners in the area. I know gym owners in Sarasota, you know, Orlando, Gainesville, Jacksonville, you know, so it's like, I pretty much have a place to train wherever I go. And, you know, from a business standpoint, I think I'm going to try to like, at least for now, um, pulling the trigger on a physical space is just something that I don't know if I could justify. I think it would be fun and I'd enjoy it and it would be cool to like make my own space, but it's too unpredictable right now. In my opinion, I, I, I personally feel like it's too unpredictable right now. And I think there are ways in a business standpoint that I feel like I could capitalize more um, before I were to open a physical space. There were, there's other things on the to-do list that I would do before I open a physical space. On online, I checked out, your, you had fortitude training and you introduced four concepts and you went into some detail on your Instagram. I would mm -hmm. love the opportunity for you to present those to our listeners. So what are these four concepts that you bring to your fortitude training? So to kind of, that's kind of goes very much in line with um, what I mentioned earlier. It's sort of how I work with people. I try to uh, dumb it down because, you know, most people, most people are very busy. Most, most people that come to work with me, I mean, even the athletes, like everyone exists along the same spectrum of health and fitness. You know, it's just to what degree of rigidity they want to apply to their life to kind of help them get further, you know, further or not in terms of their goals. Um, 
you know, whenever I work with people, it's, it's stress, it's sleep, it's diet, it's, you know, your genetics and or hormones, um, it's training, it's, you know, mindset, it's those, really those key pillars that you can make as simple or as complex as you want to make them. And more often than not, you know, the areas, like I mentioned, the areas that people are focusing on, that people are trying to push and excel are, you know, the areas that they don't necessarily stand so much to gain it. You know, and if you, if you, if I work with someone on training, like, you know, and they stand to benefit more from a lifestyle component, well, then I'm going to coach them on that lifestyle component before we even talk about training. You know, I'm going to, if I'm working with someone on nutrition, but their training sucks and they're not even, you know, their, their intensity is garbage. Their frequency is too low. Their volume's too low. Like you could be, they could be a nutrition client of mine. And I'm going to, before I, at least before I really start pushing nutritional interventions, I'm going to say, yo, like this isn't going to work unless you're doing at least to this degree of training. So when it comes to fortitude, you know, I, I think for me, the, the best way to describe that, to answer your question is just to say it's practical, you know, and I think I put that in my description in the website, it's practical in a sense that we're going to be touching on the biggest bang for your buck ways that you can improve. Um, You know, I'm not gonna, I don't like to, you know, from a, from a business sense, I'm not so concerned about selling people and retaining people that I need to, that I feel like feel the need to, you know, keep telling them what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. And, you know, it might lose me a couple clients here and there, but I think at the end of the day, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do stick around is because they respect me for that. And just being honest with them, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell somebody to keep doing this one thing that they want to hear if it's not the area that they're going to stand to benefit because, you know, then I'm wasting their time. I'm wasting my time. And, you know, then I'm just a glorified cheerleader at that point. And you highlighted that all of your clients are one-on-one. Is that intentional? Have you experimented with group training or programming mm-hmm. for the masses and just mm-hmm. like one-on-one or you want to give everything you got to your individuals? So I actually have three services. One is a one-on-one coaching oriented situation that's primarily training focused. And usually those be usually most of the people that do that level of one-on-one where we're talking on like a daily basis, it's really just, they want that level of customization. We, I still go into nutrition a little bit with those people, but I'm not more so monitoring the, the nitty gritty details of how much they're eating and what they're eating. But I'm more so like making sure, like, you know, I'll remind them about guidelines that we want to stay, that we want to stay in. Um, That's kind of like my, my most in-depth service. Then the nutrition coaching is kind of like a moderate, kind of moderate, you know, middle price point. Like, you know, that's for someone if, if, if they want me to sort of look in depth in terms of what they're eating, how much they're eating, their goals are a little bit more nutrition oriented. They have training down pat, whatever, you know, though that's the type of person I'd work with on nutrition. And then I do offer a lower price point service. That is, you know, if someone maybe if they're, you know, budget college student or they don't necessarily want 
you know, someone to hold their hand through the training. They're maybe pretty experienced or they just want to, you know, try my methods or try kind of how I, how I would train somebody that would be, um, you know, my style, so to speak. Um, I talked a little bit about that previously. I do offer a couple of templates in a training service through my website. Um, and that's just a simple, small subscription, but, um, I do, I have, um, I have two programs under that service. One is a powerlifting program. It's continuously running. So it's constantly being updated. I think there's probably like six or seven, whatever, six times four, seven times four, 24, 28 total weeks in it right now. Um, if you were current on it, uh, there's another one. The very first one that I dropped is called a uh, fortitude 365. And that's pretty much like, um, like the gen, like a gen pop person's kind of 365 day year training program. That's going to touch on uh, strength training. It's going to touch on bodybuilding. It's going to touch on GPP. It's basically for someone who is looking to kind of get a little bit of everything who maybe only has one to two hours to train. So I'm not going to put a lot of exercises in that 365 program that aren't going to be very good bang for your buck. I'm not going to be putting something in there that takes a really, <clears throat> a really long time to warm up for, you know, cause most people aren't are on time constraints and they're trying to go to the gym to, to, you know, do the most effective training session they can go in and do and get out. Cause they have to go pick their kids up from school or they have to, you know, go back to work from their lunch break, that sort of thing, you know? So my 365 program, I don't put a lot of Olympic weightlifting in it just because in terms of ROI for your time, I don't think that, you know, most people, most gem pop people, I don't think they stand to benefit from, you know, from doing five sets of one snatches in 20 minutes as they do from doing, you know, five sets of 10 uh, bent over barbell rows or, you know, squats or, you know, cable rows or pull-ups or, you know, bench press or something like that. The, the time under tension, and the uh, hypertrophic benefit that they would get from one of those exercises that they take through full range of motion, full time under tension um, from a strength and hypertrophy standpoint and an aesthetic standpoint, because let's not discount that. Most people just want to go in the gym so they can look good and feel better about themselves. And I think more power to them. So, you know, that's going to, that's going to be, you know, more of the emphasis in there as far as, as opposed to like a sports specific, I'll probably drop a weightlifting program in the future, but um, kind of not at that point yet. I'll probably drop CrossFit before I drop weightlifting. Um, but uh, so kind of the training service is going to be encompassing a, a variety of programs. And I have two now, I just haven't really felt, you know, the need to drop the third yet, but it's coming. It's probably, I'll probably drop the CrossFit one pretty soon, kind of in time for the open. Oh yeah. Nice. Where do you yeah. see the future of fitness and training in general? Not necessarily the sport of fitness, but how about garage gym explosions, people leaving the Globo gyms for taking ownership of their their movement? Sure. Um, I see boutique gyms being pretty popular. Um, I think we've already kind of seen uh, commercial gyms take a very large hit. Didn't Gold's Gym go out of business? Bankrupt. I don't know Bankrupt. About yeah, I mean, they, uh, I, I want to say each, each location is probably like their franchises. Um, yeah. And I know because the Gold's Gym around us, uh, I canceled my membership. 
um, just because I had it. Because I remember before we built Power Athlete, I would train there, and I just kept mm-hmm. it because it was, I think, on a credit card I didn't necessarily notice. And uh, I canceled. Great business model. Yeah, I canceled before the uh, pandemic, and they like didn't charge me because I think they suspended everything. But when it started back up, they started charging me again. So I went in there and I was like, "Hey, you guys sent me the collection on something," and I and like here's my proof of cancellation. And the guy uh, behind the desk is like, "Yeah, uh, it got sold off to new ownership, and there was <laughs> all these people that hadn't paid, so they just batched them." And I was like, so you're batching people that have canceled? And he's like, yeah, they pretty much batched everybody for the year. If you had a membership there at Jan 1, they batched you. And I was like, ooh, that's bad. He's like, yeah, it's bad for business. So Neil say they went away. But uh, he said they were under new ownership, which makes me believe that they're probably franchises. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So. I just, I know that, you know, depending on what state you live in, commercial gyms have taken quite a hit. And I think, I, I think the Florida. more local... How's it in Florida? Uh, how, how's it in Florida with Florida being as open as it is? Did they take a hit? I don't there? think it's been that bad here. Um, I've I've gone to an LA Fitness several times, and there's been people in there. It's like it's pretty much you wouldn't have think there was any, like there's obviously some some signs that say like wear masks and stuff. For the most part, like you know the times that I've been in, it's been a little. It hasn't been packed. It's been like kind of moderate. Um, you know, most people aren't wearing masks. Most people, you know, some people are, but most people are just kind of like minding their own business and doing their thing. And, um, it's pretty quiet. The, the one that I've been to, uh, kind of around here in the Clearwater area, it's been pretty relaxed, pretty chill. Um, you know, Miami's a little bit, I, Miami kind of does its own thing. Um, the gyms I've gone to in Miami are always pretty packed, but they're, they weren't like large chain gyms. They've been, you know, I think the local gyms that have a little bit more of, uh, I don't know if I would call it like a cult following, but more of like a local attached following that have been going there for a while. I think those will be fine because those people, you know, the tie is strong enough to kind of keep those people coming back and they have memories there and they have friends there. And it's kind of their, it's, it's as much of, it's as much a, a social outlet as it is, you know, place to train, there's that, there's that social attachment there. And I think the, that kind of attachment and that tie will help a lot of those locations prevail, but for the gyms that there isn't that kind of social attachment, in my opinion, you know, it's just maybe someone going there by, you know, a lot of individuals going there by themselves. They don't necessarily talk. There isn't necessarily that aspect of community, uh, you know, the large commercial gyms, I think those are going to be the ones that are taking a hit. Um, you know, but you have so many people with garage gyms now. So, um, you know, that's obviously going to be something that I think is going to stay more prevalent, but at least, you know, people have the option to use their garage gyms now, but I still think, you know, ironically for the amount of people that have, you know, garage equipment now and the ability to train at home, I still see a lot of those people potentially a good portion, a, a portion that's significant enough to note. I see a lot of those people still gravitating towards uh, like a semi-private or a small group or a, like a boutique gym or, you know, a, a gym that is a little bit more local where they know everyone. Because for a lot of people, that's their like, that's their kind of hangout. That's their outlet. That's kind of their place to go, you know, hang out and train, and catch up with people and like do their thing and kind of get around and group up with like-minded individuals. Do, cool. do you remember the movie Pain and Gain? Uh, with Marky yeah. Mark and the Rock? Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Dude. I thought it was great, man. I, I thought, thought it was, it was great. really bad. Thinking about that local <laughs> place where everybody gets together, 
and then schemes crimes. That's that's what you think, Miami. That's actually everywhere that's in Miami. Miami. That's everywhere in Miami. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's everywhere in Miami. That's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, God. I'll tell you, man. The uh, uh, one of my favorites. There was just so much interesting food in Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, you know, like it, it's like here in Austin. Like you, you know, you venture downtown, you're going to find something interesting. So, uh, but yeah, just yeah, dude, really a lot of fun. So, hey, if yeah. uh, if, if if people want to learn more about what you're doing and and uh, just you know catch up with you, I know you got a YouTube page and um, uh, you know Instagram and whatnot. Like, how do people get in connection with you? Probably the best way would be just through my personal Instagram, which is at Ian the Rhino. There's some dots in there, but how'd you get the name Ian the, the Rhino? Yo, this is actually a funny story. Did you give it to yourself? Yes. Did you start referring to yourself as the fucking rhino? No, uh, Rich actually gave it to me. Oh, okay. (laughs) We were out out training in in Cookville, and um, this was the 2016 season. So this was like where I still had quite a bit of weaknesses. I was probably running like a seven and a half minute mile, which, you know, around CrossFit Games athletes is very, very, very low on the totem pole. And, um, and we hadn't gone and competed yet. We were up there at Tennessee Tech running around the track. And the workout was a fight. We had to run a 5K, which I couldn't remember the last time I had run a 5K, mind you. And uh, it, was every- it was our team and it was their team. And at the time, I think it was like him and um, his cousin and the, the other guy. Uh, it was him, Darren, and um, I don't know if Darren was on a team. And it was him, Matt Hewitt, and I think James Hobart. And, um, and then the girls that they had on the team, like Ellie and a couple other ones, and we we're running a 5k, but it was a two, it was continuous and it was a 200 meter slow jog paired with a 200 meter sprint. It's called 5, an Indian run. Meters. That's called an Indian run where you basically yeah. sprint. Yeah. Jo- yeah. It's fucking awful. And for me, it wasn't so much my cardiovascular capacity. It was my calves. <laughs> so about I don't know, a mile in, my calves were literally just blown to shit. And my cardio, my cardio was fine, but like I was have, I was, this was the most embarrassing workout of my life. I was having, especially cause it was like with Rich and company and like we, we had went there to kind of like show up and like put out, you know, and we're running around this track and like towards the end of the 5k, I got laughed a couple of times because I was sprinting on the 200 but I was having to walk for the first half of the slow 200 because I had to like let my calves, like the lactic acid and blood drain out of them. They didn't have that kind of muscular endurance yet to like handle that impact. And so everyone laps me, everyone finishes and I'm finishing the last lap and they're all like chilling in the end zone on the football field. And I'm walking across the end zone, like diagonally across the field, just me by myself. And it was a pretty hot day out, so we were all pretty sweaty. We were all looking pretty big and vascular and stuff. And uh, Rich goes, is that Ian? Because they looked at me coming from across the field. He goes, geez, he looks like a freaking rhino. And uh, and ever since then, my my teammates, they just called me that. They called me that like funny, like making fun of me. And then it kind of became this sort of endearing term because – we actually ran sprints after that, and they said, everybody, don't go super hard or you'll pull a hamstring. And, of course, me and, like, four guys went super hard and pulled our hamstrings. Aww. And we went back to their uh, his dad's house after that, and they did a workout, and I couldn't do it because I had a pulled hamstring, so I was strict pressing 275. And he goes, 
is he strict pressing 275? And there Pierre goes, my teammate, he's like, yeah, bro, he's pretty strong. He's strict pressing 275. And he's like, that's like my jerk max right now. <laughs> and I, I was at least able to, um, you know, carry my ego along a little bit with some of my lists. Totally man. redeem yourself, man. Sounds yeah. like some fucking amazing conversation going over in the Froning Gym. Uh, we, uh, one seminar we ho- they uh, hosted us, so we got yeah, to go. Yeah, with their dad. Uh, we drink met his beers dad. with his dad. Yeah, yeah, the dad and uh, his his big Coors Light guy. Oh, is he really uh-huh. Silver Bullet? He and Glassman. Oh, god. Yeah, it, that was that was a, that was actually the first time I met Matt Frazier. Was he just randomly showed up, uh, and we were just like, it was kind of odd because I was still like a little bit of a uh, like I I was kind of this younger like like not super like self-confident crossfitter and and then all of a sudden i'm here at bitch's house and matt frazier shows up and we're like shooting guns in his backyard and i'm like what am i even doing here right now sounds like some good redneck shit well that's yeah this guy's got some redneck well we've 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 done i mean shit we've done a bunch of seminars the the final Final. crossfit ssa football (laughs) seminar was held at final ass backwards the mayhem that's right. Yeah. Oh man. But um. But yeah, if they if they want to find me. They can find me at Instagram at Ian the Rhino. Easiest way to contact me is just shoot me a DM. I respond to all my DMs, uh, no matter how weird they are, and they get pretty weird. Um, uh, I challenge <laughs> accepted. Power Athlete Nation. Yeah. You I, uh, shouldn't have said yeah, that, I, Ian. Yeah. Time to get weird. You just fucking ask for the fucking reins to come down on you. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I guess I ought to know. Uh, awesome. But we, I, I usually, because it's convenient, um, I usually end up sending voice memos to people. Otherwise, I, I'm staring at my phone and getting cross-eyed mm-hmm. too much. Yeah, I that found that voice memos are the best level of efficiency possible. We, Ian, we have a troll, the power athlete Penguin. Penguino. <laughs> He's going after you now. You've opened the floodgates. Yeah. Oh, Wellborn's blocked him. Uh, I, I equally troll back. I unblocked him. Oh, you unblocked him because it was too good. No, he was paying me respect, so I gotta get, I gotta get that ego boost. <laughs> yeah. I need this. Okay, Dude, the fact that you're hoping that the penguin, aka the penguino, is fucking, that's your validation. Yeah, that's oh, God. This is what my life's come to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Our athlete nation, Ian. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us, man. Enjoy clear water. It's it is a beautiful place. Yeah, no, it's a bitchin' place, man. I I love that spot. And if you're ever in guys, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, man. If you're ever in Austin, Texas, man, we got plenty of weights for you to lift. Yeah. I'd love to come by at some point. One of my buddies lives out there. I was out there, I think, recently when I reached out to John. He's he my buddy's out there doing jujitsu now. So I have to come out and get my ass kicked. Where's he uh where's he working at? Brazilian Fight Factory. Where's that? Is that downtown? Uh, you know, I'm not so familiar with the geography that I could give you an accurate guess, but it's where um, uh, there's a couple of brothers that train out of there, William and Andrew Tackett. They're pretty, they're pretty, they're kind of like phenoms in, uh, in jujitsu. They're really good. Nice. And um, God, what is his name? It's it, the, the name of the guy that runs it is escaping me. I feel like an asshole now because he's going to listen to this and I'm going to forgot his name. But um, Brazilian Fight Factory. Uh, cool. It's a check mat gym. Oh, cool. cool. Um, yeah. yeah uh, one of the Jean-Jacques Muchado gyms, uh, Todd White spots up the street from us. So I'm okay. supposed to, I'm yeah, supposed yeah, to, yeah. I'm and I just, to go up I there just and start and I've a, been putting it off. Yeah. I just bought a, uh, a Christensen Arms 6.5 Creedmoor. 
Oh, and nice. so I'll be uh, can't exactly find too many long range spots around around here to shoot that. Man, so if the, I come out there, I'd be bringing that. Uh, man, like there's I'm, I'm thinking there's this place I think it's called the Austin Gun Club that has uh, they have a range, but it's like you got to join. I think you just can't show up there. You got to be part of the member, but they have yeah. a legitimate out to a thousand. Yeah, which that's, is pretty that, cool. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, if you got a six five Creedmoor, I mean that there's no problem with those shooting a thousand. Now I, I yeah. remember when I, I shot my three hundred eight out to a thousand, it was something like forty eight feet of drop or something like <laughs> like for, it was so many clicks. I was like, holy shit, I might not yeah, have enough clicks yeah. to get this thing. For the record, yeah. Brazilian Fight Factory is up north in the domain. Oh, okay. So shout out to to them. We'll have to check them out. Awesome. Three sixty one eighty three. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Thanks, brother. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Yeah, adios, guys. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If you're interested in checking out some of Ian's training, you can follow him at his nickname. That's Ian the Rhino. Until next time, bye.